in the fragile substance of my soul And I have filled this void with things unreal And all the while my character is still You're listening to The Holy Catholic Group, a podcast looking at faith, life, and culture from the perspective of two young Catholics. My name is Lyndon Chan, and I'm an engineering master's student at the University of Toronto. And I am Jeremy Zhao, your co-host, currently a seminarian studying for the Archdiocese of Toronto. In this podcast, we look at different topics each week for contemplative reflections and casual conversations. Trying to brew the things we wish we'd known earlier into the strongest drink allowable for public consumption. Welcome to another episode of the Holy Catholic Brew. Today will just be me, Lyndon, and I'll be talking about the relationship between the Jewish festival of Shavuot and the Christian celebration of Pentecost, between the offering of the first fruits of the land of Israel and the fruits of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us on our hearts. Jeremy is away for a 30-day silent retreat at the seminary, so I'll be talking a little bit more about how the spiritual aspect of the New Testament is grounded by the physical aspect of the Old Testament. We can't really discard one or the other, so they link up together, and I think that when you look at the Jewish roots of our Catholic faith, it really helps us to see that these things aren't just wishy-washy things that we say in order to make ourselves feel good, but really they're a matter of life and death a matter of living our lives to the fullest and how we really won't be satisfied totally until we live our lives as God intended us to. Enjoy! The fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. Fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it, you can't be a fruit of the spirit Cause the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control This is the song, The Fruit of the Spirit, by Uncle Charlie Part 1. Our God is a Fruitful God To start off, let's read from the book of Genesis The first chapter of Genesis is a recounting of one of the stories of creation when God creates man and creates the universe. And in it, you can kind of see the different purposes that God has created us to be. Oftentimes, don't we think a lot of why God has created us? What our purpose is on this earth? Well, when you read through this first chapter of Genesis, you kind of get a better picture of why. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame animals, all the wild animals, and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth. God also said, See, I give you every seed-bearing plant on all the earth, and every tree that has seed-bearing fruit on it to be your food, and to all the wild animals, all the birds of the air, and all the living creatures that crawl on the earth. I give all the green plants for food. And so it happened. So already you can see that God has created man and woman. In order to be fertile and multiply, 
He's created them in his own image. It's kind of like when you look at parents when they give birth to their children. The children look like their parents. Biologically speaking, they inherited their their genes. And so you can see that already in the book of Genesis, God has created a people for himself. At first it's just Adam and Eve, but later on as Adam and Eve fulfill their purpose in life, they flourish and live fully human lives, they give birth to their descendants. And in so doing, you see throughout the scriptures that more and more people join the people of God. So that's the first purpose that God created uh creates man. It's to belong to him. And the second purpose is for man to have life and to live it to its fullest. Oftentimes I think that when we think of God, we think of him as some otherworldly father figure, um as someone who wants people to obey what he says in order to in order for God to derive some sort of benefit from it. It's kind of like a some kind of divine slave master. But when you read Genesis, that's completely untrue. God is he created everything from nothing. He's not just simply a human creator who creates something out of something else. You see that God has created man and he hasn't given him any duties in order to give up to God at first. He says just be fruitful, be fertile and multiply. He wants his sons and daughters to have a full life and to live it to its fullest. It's kind of like what any parent would want for their children. And interestingly, if you look at Genesis, he talks about seed-bearing plants and every tree that's seed-bearing fruit. If you fast forward to the New Testament, you see Jesus talking a lot about fruits. There's the parable of the fig tree, or not actually the parable, it's a story of the fig tree because when Jesus sees this fig tree on the road, he sees that it hasn't produced any fruits yet. And he says, "You're accursed because you haven't created any fruits." And he taught when he talks about false prophets, he says, "You'll know them by their fruits." So why all these mentions about fruits in the gospels? Why so many mentions about fruits in the very beginning of the Bible? Well, if you look scientifically, fruits are just simply the ripened seed containing ovaries of the plants. They're the sweet and good tasting parts of the plants that are meant to fall off and they contain the seeds so that when animals eat of them, then the fruit is destroyed but the seed remains and they begin to disperse the seeds and then the seeds fall to the ground, they grow into new plants and the cycle of life continues. So this is really symbolic because when God calls us to be fertile in some translations of the Bible it's read as to be fruitful. When God says be fertile and multiply, he means that we're meant to give of ourselves. We're meant to give of our lives to give life to other people. It's not simply that we're supposed to be a plant that receives sunlight, receives rain, receives nutrients from the soil and just grows and grows and grows but doesn't give life to others. We're meant to die to ourselves, kind of like these fruits that they have to die, they have to be eaten in order to give life to future generations. And basically this is the theme of Pentecost of Shavuot, which is what we'll be covering today. The whole message of it is that God wants to bring a people to himself and he wants that people to live life to its fullest. It's not so that he can conquer them and subdue them, but rather because God is our loving father. He wants his children to live life well. So to end off this first part, let's read a reading from one of my favorite parts of the scriptures. It's Ezekiel 16. And in it God talks about his love for his people. He talks about his people as though his people were his own daughter who he'd found drowning in her own blood and he brings her up and he raises her and gives her life god is like that to each and every single one of us
As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut. You were not washed with water or anointed. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye looked on you with pity or compassion to do any of these things for you. Rather, on the day you were born, you were left out in the field, rejected. Then I passed by and saw you struggling in your own blood, and I said to you in your own blood, Live! I helped you grow up like a field plant, so that you grew, maturing into a woman with breasts developed and hair grown, but still you were stark naked. I passed by you again and saw that you are now old enough for love, so I spread the corner of my cloak over you to cover your nakedness. I swore an oath to you and entered into covenant with you, oracle of the Lord God, and you became mine. Part 2. First Fruits First So I'm pretty sure you know already from the story of the Garden of Eden that after Adam committed the first original sin and Eve with him that they both got expelled from the Garden of Eden. They no longer had the land to grow the fruits. And from then on, the people of God didn't really have their own land. They were dispossessed, and they were wandering from place to place. They were nomadic people, and they didn't have a place to settle and grow things and offer them up to God. And throughout the Old Testament, you see that God brings in more people to become his people. Eventually, his plan is to have them settle in the promised land, where they will dwell as a holy nation for him. Initially, you read of Abraham, who is brought to the land of Canaan. Originally, he isn't really from the Holy Land. He is from a region that's currently in present-day Iraq. So he's originally in the land of Canaan as a foreigner. And the story goes that he gives birth to Isaac, then him to Jacob. Then from Jacob, you go to Joseph. Joseph settles in Egypt as a guest. He, remember, he's the one who his brothers try to kill. So eventually he's sold into slavery into Egypt, but he gains freedom and he brings his brothers over into Egypt. Many, many generations pass and then you come to the time of Moses. Moses is born and he takes the Israelites out of Egypt onto freedom. And that's what we commemorate in the Exodus and what Jews commemorate in the Passover. And after many, many years of fighting, of trying to conquer the original inhabitants in the land of Canaan, then they are finally go into the promised land and they become the nation of Israel. So we covered this in a previous podcast. And now we move on to the next stage. After the Israelites have escaped from Egypt, what happens then? Well, in ancient Israel, the grain harvest would begin with a barley harvest on Passover, which is the 15th day of Nisan. And it ended with a wheat harvest on Shavuot, which is a festival on the sixth day of Sivan. And that's precisely a period of 50 days. Now, if your Greek is any good, you'll know that 50 is related to penta, which is that same word in the name of Pentecost. So you already kind of see these parallels between the New and the Old Testament. When the disciples were gathered to receive the Holy Spirit, they were gathered on the Pentecost. This is exactly the same day as Shavuot. Now, back in the uh, in the history for the Jews, Shavuot was the first day that individuals could bring their first fruits, known as Bikurim, to the temple. 
And they would bring these seven items that were characteristic of the Holy Land, things that grew natively there. So these were wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and dates. So seven different kinds of fruits of the land of Israel. And the Israelites being an agricultural people, once they'd grown these uh, produce, they would give the first of the harvest, the very best parts of the harvest to the temple. They would present these offerings to a priest known as a Kohen, and there would be a ceremony at which certain passages would be read from scripture, and they would thank God for the fruits of the field and for his guidance throughout history. They would thank God that they had this land in which they could grow these fruits, because back in the land of Egypt, they didn't have this land that they could grow, so they were forced into labor. Now, once they'd arrived into the land of Israel, they could use their labor in order to grow things and offer them up to God. And it was really symbolic because getting the first of the harvest showed how God must be served first. With everything that we have, all the gifts and talents, it must be God and serving God that must be the center of our lives. And then the rest of it becomes lawful food. It's kind of like what Jesus says when in the scriptures we read, seek you first the kingdom of God and everything else will come besides. So these gifts, once they're offered up, they would be placed before the altar and then the priests would eat them inside Jerusalem. And another thing that is interesting to note is that the land that the Israelites inherit is precisely that. It's inherited. It's passed from father to son. And it's kind of like God's gift to his people. It's a gift that they didn't deserve, but it's freely given. And it shows that his people are his. It's it's kind of like the people of Israel are his family. And it's God showing that he is the father of his people. Part three, the law. We heard last episode about the Exodus and how that gave the Israelites freedom from oppression by the Egyptians. But when you have a physical freedom from oppression, when you're not forced to do work that you don't want to and work that prevents you from worshiping God, that doesn't really equate to true freedom. In our culture today, we know that really well. We know that even when we have free time, when we have extra holidays, we have extra sick days, we don't always use them the way that we would have liked. Oftentimes we're distracted by things that aren't really that important. We're distracted by stupid videos online. We forget to do things that are important to us. We forgot to do these chores that would make life so much easier. We forget to spend time with our loved ones. And I think that's why we turn to reading these life hacks online or in different books. We turn to people who seem to have their life better put together to guide us towards better ways of living our lives. We know that unlimited freedom doesn't give us true freedom. And that's why God, after freeing his people from Egypt, had to give them a guarantee that they wouldn't slip back into slavery, not just physical slavery, but also a spiritual one. Because back in Egypt, they weren't free to worship the one and true God. They were sliding into idol worship. They were worshiping the gods that the Egyptians worshiped. And so that's why after the Israelites have escaped from Egypt, they go to Mount Sinai. And as I'm sure a lot of you already know, God gives the Israelites 613 commandments. And it's meant to give them life and retain them as his people. 
basically those two purposes that God has created mankind from the very beginning. So if you read very closely in the book of Exodus, there are actually a lot of details that personally I didn't even know about before uh, I did some reading for preparing this podcast. So first, the Jews, they requested that God speak the law directly to them. They said, whatever you say, we accept. They hadn't even heard of the law yet. They kind of trusted God that whatever he said would be good for them. And so they put their trust in him. But once God began to speak these commandments, remember in Jewish tradition, there were 613 of them. So he begins to speak the first 10, which we know as the 10 commandments. So God speaks to them, but the voice of God is so terrible, so awesome that the Israelites are afraid they would die. So the Israelites, they beg God to stop, stop. Just say the commandments through Moses. At least when Moses speaks, we won't be terrified to death. After God speaks these 10 commandments, he had to speak the rest of the law. The 603 commandments that were remaining to Moses, and Moses acted as an intermediary. So the funny thing is only these 10 commandments were transmitted verbally. The rest of these were written down on tablets and they're given to the Israelites. But Moses had the authority to interpret them over the next 40 years that they would be traveling through the desert to the promised land. So for the Jews, the Exodus was a physical freedom, but receiving this law, which they known as the Torah, had to be written down and it was a guarantee that they would have spiritual freedom that prevented them from sliding back into idol worship. Shavuot for the Jews was a day that they commemorated their ancestors getting this law from God, and also a day in which they would offer up the first fruits. For them, it was symbolic as the day that the matchmaker, Moses, brought the bride, which was the nation of Israel, to the chupa, which was the marriage location, in this case, it's Mount Sinai, to marry the bridegroom, God. The marriage contract was the Torah. The Jews had a very strong conception of the relationship between God and his people as a marriage covenant. And it just goes to show that God's relationship with us is between a father and his children, between a husband and his wife. It's not one dominated by use, by trying to get something from the other, but rather of giving Because in a family, within a marriage, the different individuals are there together. They're the same people. Within both of these kinds of family relationships, you see that the love that they have is to give life to the others, to make the other live life to the fullest. And that's what God has given his people in the Torah. He's given us rules, not in order to constrain our freedom, not in order to prevent us from from killing as though it was something that we would enjoy, but rather he's given us this dignity that as his children, it's not something we'd want to do anyways. God wants us to live life to this fullest. So he's told us what things we need to avoid, what things we need to do in order to live life well, in order to be freed from these things that we wouldn't want to do anyways. Just like you wouldn't want to be distracted on social media all your life. And another interesting thing, The purpose of following the law is to receive life. So there's a principle in Jewish law, which is known as pikoach nefesh. And it means, literally, it means saving a life. And it obligates Jews to break almost any one of those 613 laws in order to save life. In Ezekiel 20.11, it says, Then I gave them my statutes and made known to them my ordinances, so that everyone who keeps them has life through them. 
Note here that God gives the law to the Israelites that you may have life through them. They're not meant to restrict people's lives, not meant to kill people. It's meant to give life. And that's why you read repeatedly in the scriptures that Jesus breaks the Sabbath in order to save people. He heals them of their physical illnesses and he gives them forgiveness of sins. When we follow the law of God, when we follow what the Catholic Church teaches, it's not meant to restrict us, to make us become less human, but rather it gives us these rules that we need to follow if we want to become truly human, if we want to live life to its fullest. Part 4. Written on Hearts of Flesh In the first Shavuot, you have God giving the Israelites freedom, spiritual freedom, by giving them laws that they need to follow in order for them to live full lives as his children. Now, if you fast forward to the New Testament, there's a new law. No longer does the law of Moses apply to the people of God, but rather you have a new law of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we celebrate now as Pentecost, which is the giving of the Holy Spirit into the apostles and the birthday, really, of the church when the law of God is no longer written on tablets of stone, but rather on hearts of flesh. Let's start off with a reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. You hear in this scene that there's the descent of the Holy Spirit after Jesus had already ascended into heaven, after he had resurrected. And the apostles on the surface seemed all alone. This was 10 days after Jesus had ascended into heaven bodily. And Jesus had talked about this baptism of fire, this baptism of water. They'd already seen what this baptism of water was when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by St. John the Baptist. But they didn't really have any idea what he meant by this baptism of fire, baptism by the Holy Spirit, until the Pentecost. When these tongues of fire came down from heaven and dwelt within their hearts. You read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, that the new law is not written in ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets that are hearts of flesh. So we see that in the Old Testament, it's already pretty clear that a lot of these dictates and a lot of these circumstances that the Jews find themselves in are very material. You hear of war, you hear of famine, people dying, people getting cut up, people drowning. And it's really not that surprising that when Jesus came and people realized that he was the Messiah, that they expected someone who would bring more material liberation, a material liberation from the Romans and material prosperity to them. But that's not what God had originally in mind. He wanted not material sacrifices, not necessarily these fruits that be offered on the altar, but rather he wanted human hearts. He wanted people to turn to him in love, just like, I guess, a father isn't satisfied by the gifts that his son would give him. Yes, those are nice as tokens of love, but really what he truly desires is the love 
and the affection of his son. And I guess that's what got him in mind when he instituted the Pentecost, when he instituted this new law. Because he knew that his people needed something that wasn't just material, but also something spiritual. And he didn't want his people to only be restricted to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to all the peoples on earth. So you see this twofold purpose of Pentecost. First, God was extending his family to a non-material kingdom. It would include Jews and Gentiles alike, which is also why Jesus repeatedly said in the in the New Testament that his kingdom was not of this world. And when Pontius Pilate asked him, are you a king? He said, you say that I am, because he's a different kind of king than what he had in mind. And the second purpose of Pentecost was that God was extending his life to give non-material fruits to his people. He wanted to give not just a material life where people would be healthy, live happy lives, and die, but he wanted people to live in truth, to have that spirit of God within them. And you see that God gives these gifts of the Holy Spirit to the apostles because we need just like how the Jews were freed from physical slavery in the land of Egypt, we also need something that will preserve us in spiritual freedom after escaping death, which is symbolized by the uh, resurrection of Jesus after his passion. So the Jews needed land in order to give fruit offerings to God, and we need the Holy Spirit in order to give our entire lives to God. When the Holy Spirit, when God dwells in our hearts, then we can give, I guess in a really mystical way, that we can give the fruits of our hearts, the fruits of our lives, every single action and thought we can give up to God. Whereas the Jews had to let um, the land that God had given them, they had to let that land grow and produce plants, we can produce actions and thoughts and give it up to God. And you see that Moses was given understanding of the will of God in order to interpret his law. Well, the apostles were given that understanding when the Holy Spirit dwelt in their hearts. Because the church is the body of Christ, it's his bride. And the temple is no more. The Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 AD. But now the new temple is within the heart of every believer. It's no longer found in the law, which is pretty much why they had built the temple, right? The temple was built to house the tablets that Moses received. But now, because you see that the Holy Spirit's dwelt in the hearts of those original disciples, we now know that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Each and every single one of us is the temple of God. And another really interesting parallel is that, you know, you had those seven fruits of the land of Israel back in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, there's seven new gifts. There's wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. And you also hear of 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. There's charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, gentleness, faithfulness, modesty, self-control, and chastity. These are these 12 fruits that are spiritual. They're not merely physical ones that we can grow in the soil, but they're still meant to give really tangible life. They're meant not as things that we can keep within ourselves, but rather the things that we can give to other people to improve their lives, not just materially, but spiritually. And whenever we receive these gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're fulfilling Jesus's command to give life to our neighbors. We're invoking every single time the pikoach nefesh. A lot of the times we're breaking certain laws, but we're doing it in order to give life to people. 
we're not being stuck by the letter of the law, stuck doing these religious commands for the sake of doing the commands. But we're doing these commands, we're following the law in order to give life to others. The Sabbath wasn't really meant to give people a burden to restrict them. It was meant to give them time to rest and worship. And when Jesus broke the Sabbath repeatedly, he was giving them the message that he was giving life to people. The point of God creating us was to give life. And we're not meant to be burdened by this law, but rather to be getting life. And really that's what this whole message of, uh, of the Passover, of Pentecost, of Shavuot is meant to be. God has given us life and we're meant to grow, but we're not meant to grow for the sake of growing. We're meant to grow in order to give fruits to others, to give back to God and to help our neighbors as well. All right, that's all we have for today. To recap, there were four parts in this episode. In the first part, I mentioned that God created man and woman in order to fulfill two purposes. The first one was to have a people to belong to him, to become his family and his people. And the second one was to give life to us, to make us live lives to the fullest, not merely materially, but also spiritually as well. He gives us life so that we may live as his children and he might become our father. And in the second part, I talked about how in the Jewish festival of Shavuot, the tradition was to offer these first fruits out of these seven fruits of the land of Israel to God, because God had given them the land in order to grow things. They had to offer up the very best up to God. And in the third part, we heard that in the festival of Shavuot, the Jews celebrate the giving of the Torah to the Jewish people. It's meant to celebrate this guarantee of spiritual freedom from idol worship that they'd fallen into in in Egypt. The Torah would give them not these restrictions on their freedom, but rather these things that they should follow if they're meant to live as his children. Because as the children of God, they had certain expectations of morality, things that they wouldn't do if they wanted to be living as his children, to live up to that standard that God had for them. And in the last part, I talked about the connection between the festival of Shavuot and Pentecost, how now the fruits that God wanted from his people were no longer physical fruits that they could grow in the ground, but rather they were uh, the results of the Holy Spirit dwelling within their hearts, of spiritual things that they could give to others and up to God. So I hope you learned something from this episode. I found it pretty interesting to be honest, uh, to see that connection between the Old and the New Testament, how the physical nature of the Old Testament really complements the spiritual nature of the New Testament, how they really balance each other out. Because in the New Testament, when you hear about the Holy Spirit dwelling in the apostles, you hear about these nice words like charity, joy, peace. It sometimes feels that they're too abstract to be relevant to our daily lives, but when they're connected to the ancient Israelites offering up the fruits from the ground up to God, how they're meant to give life to their neighbors, it really helps us to see that these things that God has given to us, all these blessings, aren't meant to be just spiritual. They're meant to be spiritual because you can see in the material how important they are. I hope that in this Easter season that you'll be able to receive more of the gifts of God and that you'll be able to offer them up to God and to neighbor. God bless you all and see you next week.
Bye-bye. Lend me your hand and we'll conquer them all. But lend me your heart and I'll just let you fall. Lend me your eyes, I can change what you see. But your soul you must keep totally free.